Good morning, LifeSpring family. Um, right now, at the time of this recording, it's Saturday, um, March 28th at 1.20 in the afternoon. Um, and we're recording this sermon for uh, Sunday on the 29th at, at noon. And um, we like to, um, to state that in the beginning because this isn't live. And so we won't be interacting uh, very much through this. Uh, you can still post comments about the message. Um, we put a lot of a lot of prayer into this message because we want to give timely sermons, we want to give timely messages. And in the introduction to this message, we talk about the fact that, and, and I want to reinforce this, I don't care how many times even in this one sermon I reinforce this. Uh, our goal at this church is that everything we share with you, everything that we teach you from the Word, Everything that we teach you from the Bible, it's about being discipled for Christ. And uh, we don't just do special discipleship classes for people. Uh, we can and do, and we have at times, and we have at times done classes for discipleship training. But everything that we teach the people of the church at LifeSpring Bible Church is about discipling us as followers of Christ. Uh, we titled the, today's message, The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. Uh, grab your Bibles, have them close by, and let's open with a word of prayer. Father, in Jesus' name, I want to thank you once again for this time that you've given us to be together to share the word. Father, I don't care if it's recorded. I don't care if it's live. Father, I believe that your anointing with this message follows the message, and I thank you for that. Prepare our hearts, Father, to receive your word today. Cause it to be to us all that you would have it to be for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Turning your Bibles with me to Revelation chapter 2. We're going to slow down the pace a little bit. We want to just take some time to look at what the Word of God says and uh, take some time to reflect on what's being said in the Word of God and how it applies to us in our lives personally and how it applies to our lives at Life Spring Bible Church. We're going to Revelation chapter 2 and we're going to begin by reading the first seven verses. And there's a word... They, a phrase that gets mentioned in the first seven verses of Revelation chapter 2 that's also mentioned, first of all, way back in Genesis in chapter 3. And we're going to compare those two. And in our introduction today, we're going to share a little note with you about why these two passages of Scripture are linked together. But remember this. The goals of this uh, message today have to do with looking at the message that God gave to the church at Ephesus and we're going to compare the message that was given to the church at Ephesus with our church today and see how it applies to our lives and what we need to be conscious of, what we need to be looking out for, and how we need to be very careful that we're pleasing to God in everything we say and do and that our motives line up with the Word of God. So, in Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, it reads like this, To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake, and you have not grown weary." But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. 
Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. Now, grab, grab the beginning of your Bible. Go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. We've spent a little bit of time in Genesis chapter 3 recently talking about the fall of man, and there's a lot to be learned. It's not We haven't begun to exhaust the teaching and the Word of God yet, and we'll spend our lifetimes trying to do that. Genesis chapter 3, look at verse 22 with me. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Uh, a little while back, we began to write synopsis for our uh, messages and uh, kind of gives you a, a brief uh, summary of our, our goals or what the sermon's about. This message follows along with the goal of every message we preach at LifeSpring Bible Church. It is our desire that all the teaching we provide for our church family continues our established trend to disciple every child of God in this family. In the book of Revelation, the church at Ephesus is addressed with all that is good as well as all that is bad, and it's followed by a warning. By way of an introduction, have you ever asked yourself about the second tree addressed by God himself in the Garden of Eden immediately after the fall in the third chapter of Genesis? The story included the tree of the knowledge of good and evil of which they were told not to eat from. The second tree was the tree of life, the tree that God would take measures to keep man away from because the fruit of that tree would allow Adam and Eve to live forever despite their sin. This side note is the bulk of our introduction because I've been asked many times why I thought that people lived so long in the early Old Testament. I can't help but believe that it took a long time for the effects of the tree of life to wear off in Adam and Eve and their descendants because Adam and Eve weren't told up until this time that they couldn't eat of the tree of life. They were told that they could not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that's where they failed. That's where they sinned. But God was also going to stop them from eating from the tree of life. This account of the church, at, uh, moving to the account of the church at Ephesus, uh, before we do, I can't help but believe that it took a long time for the effects of the tree of life to wear off in Adam and Eve and their descendants. That's why I believe that many of the early people in the Old Testament, some of them lived up to be 900 years old. Well, that was because of the effect of the tree of life on Adam and Eve and, and their descendants. Um, the account of the church of Ephesus in Revelation tells us what is good and what is bad and what is ugly about the church. It's followed by a warning. It's also told that for those of us who endure, we'll once again be able to eat of the tree of life. I believe we have much to learn from this passage of Scripture. This letter to the Ephesian church reminds us that, first of all, the first point of our message, one, 
We must live with a constant awareness of the presence of Christ. There are three ways that the presence of Christ impacts our lives. A, for comfort. Even in the times that we're living today, is there ever been more of a time where we've needed the comfort of Jesus Christ more than we need it right now? In John chapter 14, verse 1, I want you to turn there. You need to lay your eyes on this passage of Scripture for yourself. John chapter 14, verse 1. Simple, simple passage of Scripture. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Comfort. John 14, 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. We need more so than ever to take a deep breath, relax, because we're trusting in Jesus Christ. Be encouraged, child of God. Do not be buried in doubt, fear, and unbelief. I don't care what you're seeing around you or what's going on in the news. Live with a constant awareness of the presence of Christ because one, Jesus Christ brings comfort. Number two, or B, Jesus Christ brings courage. Turn with me to Mark. Go back to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, verse 40. Mark chapter 4, verse 40 reads, He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Well, I can tell you right now, there's never been a time in the history of the church that um, this passage of Scripture should have any more effect on us. It should have more effect on us now than ever in our lives. Why are you so afraid? Do we not serve Christ? Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Well, I'm here to tell you in the name of Jesus, I have faith. I have trust in the name of Jesus. I have faith. You know, it's an amazing thing that whenever the world faces a crisis, and once again, there's a uniqueness to this crisis that's literally worldwide. Once again, if you lay your eyes on the television set, with all of the bad news that's coming across there, you also see an increase in the number of people that are not hesitant and not afraid to mention the name of Jesus Christ and to talk about their Christianity. There was some actress that was a guest on one of the national news programs the other day. Um, I, don't, I don't even remember her name, but she was being asked to sing a song because she was a singer and she could sing. They didn't even ask her what she was going to sing. And all of a sudden on this national news program, she burst out in one of the older, beautiful, magnificent hymns of the church. And when she was finished, um, People had tears in their eyes. It was beautiful. Well, you just don't, up until recently, you just didn't see that happen much lately. And um, the name of Jesus Christ is being used out there. And people, there was a national company out there that paid for a commercial uh, to be done. And, and it was all about asking the people of America to pray. There's nothing wrong with that. And every time that things like that go on, there is a turn of the heart's and the minds of the people of this country to Jesus Christ. And that is not a bad thing. You know, one of the things that I read even about in, in uh, Revelation in chapter 2 where it talks about the church in Ephesus, even when it talks about the bad things, it says that all you got to do is repent. All you got to do is turn, turn, turn away 
from that and turn to God and ask for forgiveness and stop doing those things that you did wrong and God will take you back. God will love you. God will hear you. God will minister to you. God will minister through you. And here is the third thing. A, Jesus Christ gives comfort. B, Jesus Christ gives courage. C, Jesus Christ gives conviction. One of the things that I'm beginning to learn is that Jesus Christ is not afraid to look you square in the eye and tell you what you're doing wrong by the power and the presence of his spirit. And one of the most powerful stories uh, about conviction comes from Luke chapter 22, verse 61. I want you to turn there. Luke chapter 22, verse 61. And we find the account of how Jesus dealt with Peter. Luke chapter 22, verse 61. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And then adding verse 62, and he went out and wept bitterly. But you know the story of Peter? You know that Jesus Christ didn't do that to him. Jesus Christ didn't say that to him because Peter was going to lose everything and lose out on his relationship with Christ. Jesus Christ gave a convicting prediction to Peter so that when Peter knew that he had done exactly what Jesus had warned him about, he still had Jesus to turn to give that, and let that convicting power of Jesus Christ change his life. Peter was one of those apostles that a number of years later in the book of Acts walked out into the street and was so blessed and anointed by God, the same man that had denied Christ, the same man's shadow, even that his shadow would fall on those that were sick and needed to be healed, uh, even his shadow that fell on these people healed these people. That's what God does with people if they listen to godly conviction. If God's telling you there's something he wants to change about your life, let him do it. Let him work on you. Let him bring to fruition in your life all that he wants to do, all of the good, all of the things that he wants to bring about that's going to change your life. So, one of the things that, that the Word was saying in Revelation chapter 2 about the church was, that, that, that we have to live with a constant awareness of the presence of Christ. One, it brings comfort. Two, it brings courage. Three, it brings godly conviction, and we need to thank God for it. The second point of this message that we got from Revelation chapter 2 is never become passive in our commitment to the purity of Christ's church. How many times have you heard me say, that heresy creeps into the church easily on the back of truth. It slips in. But the thing that alarms me is how easily the body of Christ can be deceived. We need to be operating in the wisdom of God more so now than ever in our lives. Point number two, never become passive in our commitment to the purity of Christ's church. Part A, under two, we stand against sin. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 2, the first part of that scripture, I read again. It says, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil. We must stand against sin. Um, it is not my goal to stand in the pulpit of the church 
or to preach messages to people and just to hurt their feelings. I'm not out to hurt their feelings. But I do not shy away from speaking the truth. The Word of God calls sin, sin. The children of God must not be afraid to take a stand against sin, especially in the church. Revelation chapter 2, verse 2, first part A. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil. B. We stand against false teaching. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 2, the second part, part B. But have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. And if you drop down to verse 6, this thought is continued. Yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Now, let me, let me tell you right now, I did some research into this. I can't find any Bible scholars or any place where it is specifically taught what the Nicolaitans believe. No one seems to know for sure who they were or what the heresy was that they accepted in their life. But in Revelation chapter 2, in another one of the churches at Pergamum, uh, there were some things mentioned about sin in the church, and we're going to address that. Uh, it was an identifiable heresy and false teaching present in the early church. It seems to be linked in Revelation chapter 2, verses 14 and 15 in the letter to Pergamum with the teaching of Balaam, which involved idolatry and sexual immorality. In Revelation 2, verses 14 and 15, it reads like this, But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food, sacrifice to idols, and practice sexual immorality. Verse 15, So also you have some who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. So, what do we have here? You know, the story in the Old Testament, there was a, a prophet named Balak that was hired by the enemies of the children of Israel to prophesy or place a curse on the children of Israel. He took the money, and then every time, several times, he tried to speak a curse uh, on the, uh, or to prophesy against the children of Israel, but God would not allow it. Every time he opened his mouth, instead of speaking a curse against the children of Israel, only a blessing would come out. Several times this happened. And so as the story goes, after several times of Balak uh, attempting to uh, speak a curse against the children of Israel and only words of blessing coming out, he turned to those who had paid him to curse Israel and he gave them advice to do two things. One... He told them what you need to do if you want to defeat Israel. Over a period of time, he started allowing your sons and daughters to marry their sons and daughters or to have sex with their sons and daughters. Let your sons and daughters have sex with their sons and daughters. And what happens when, when the marriage of extremely ungodly people that these were in the Old Testament and the godly people of Israel, when they began to marry and emotions are involved and love is involved, it's easy for those who are not serving God to convince those that are that it really doesn't matter whether you eat food that's sacrificed to idols. It was much more important in the Old Testament that they did not do this. But over time, these husbands and wives 
that came from the enemies of the children of Israel, married in with the sons and daughters of the children of Israel, they convinced them over time that it was all right to do ungodly things. And it was over a period of time. These are some of the ways that sin creeps into the church. Just because the United States government says that it's okay to do a certain thing doesn't mean that it's okay for the children of God to do those things. Never, ever forget that. It's warned against in Revelation, in chapter 2, and we can't let it be allowed into the church. So, we stand against sin. We stand against false teaching. Amen? And three... Never grow weary in our perseverance for Christ. Once again, in Revelation chapter 2, verse 2 again, the first part, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil. And then in verse 3, going on in verse 3, I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. Well, let me tell you, uh, not only has it been a battle for me, it's been a battle for Ruth. It's been a battle for every child of God uh, at, at home, sometimes alone, thinking about all of the news and all of the things that are going on. It's, it's, uh, it's tempting at times to, to grow a little weary, no child of God. It's time to take a deep breath. It's time to relax a little bit. It's time to take that deep breath, let it out, and just proclaim our faith in God. Stick with the Word. Stay people of prayer. You know, we, we, we referred to this humorously last week, but it didn't matter. What we were seeing is it didn't matter if you were home alone, even if you were a loner. It's different to say, I want to be home alone. I want to have some time even alone with God. But if all of a sudden you're being told you can't be with other people, then it's easy for the devil to come along and remind you, hey, you're by yourself. You're alone. You can't fellowship with anybody. Well, then on the other side of the coin, you take uh, people that have been married for, for many years. All of a sudden, they've got all this time to have togetherness at the house, maybe more so togetherness than they've had in a long time. Well, uh, it's, it's a lot of togetherness, amen? And uh, we smile about it. We, we make references to it. But those of you who are at home with somebody with four walls around, you know exactly what I'm saying. Well, what a greater time have we ever had in our lives to pray together, to study the Word of God together, to grow closer together. Do not allow the devil to drive a wedge in your relationships at home. So it doesn't matter what state you find you're in, the devil's going to try to drive a wedge. See it for what it is. Refuse to allow the devil to win. So never grow weary in our perseverance of Christ. Point number three. There are two verses I want to share with you. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. Turn there with me, children of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. Beautiful words. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord... Your labor is not in vain. Well, you're not just working on one person at home if it's you and your wife or you and your husband. We need to be praying for everybody we know. We, we need to up our prayer life. We need to up our time in the Word. And we need to up our time 
in our relationships. We got a telephone, call your brothers and sisters, call your family members, check on them on a regular basis. Another scripture, go to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6 verse 9. Galatians chapter 6 verse 9 reads like this. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. This is no time to be given up. Amen? Here's the fourth thing that I've learned from Revelation chapter 2 about the church at Ephesus. Guard against careless negligence in our passion for Christ. Um, I was on the phone with um, one of the folks in our church the other day when they were talking about, this is where I started to begin to learn that whether you're alone or whether you're with somebody uh, at your home, uh, if you're quarantined there or self-quarantined there or you're, you know, that you're doing extreme social distancing or whatever it is in whatever way you want to call it, um, one of the things that, that I've come to the realization is, that was shared with me is that you would think that at home right now, you'd have all this time to pray. You would have all this time to study the Word of God. Uh, you would have all this time to build on your relationship with God and your relationship with those that are in that home with you. Uh, you would have time to do maybe some deep cleaning that you haven't done before. Or maybe you have time to straighten out your garage or whatever, uh, you know, uh, I mean, reading and praying isn't something you'll do necessarily for 12 hours in a day. You could, and it'd be great, but there are other things that you can do. Yet, the danger that's creeping into the human nature of our lives is it's easy when you're quarantined at home to become physically and spiritually lazy. And we must fight against it. We must not let it grip our lives. Guard against careless negligence in our passion for Christ. At a time when you would think, well, we've got more time on our hands to pursue our relationship with Christ, and yet the danger involved is that we just put on a certain pair of pajamas, lounge around on the couch, and binge watch something on television. Don't do it, child of God. When this is over and we look back in retrospect, let it be about the period of time that was a golden period of time for us to grow in Christ, to grow in our relationship with Him, and to grow into the Word, grow in the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, learn to listen to His voice again, keenly, sharply, and let's obey what He's saying to us. So, guard against careless negligence in our passion for Christ during this period of time. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 4, it says, But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. This is no time for that. It's dangerous. Don't do it. Don't allow the devil to have a victory in your life at this time. Now, I, I wrote uh, three points here that I wrote. People could say, one, one, I'm too busy. Well, really, are we really too busy? No, we can't be that busy during this period of time. Two, well, I'm too tired. Uh, can we really be that tired? Pick a time at night, go to bed, sleep for eight hours, get up, get yourself a cup of coffee, take yourself a shower, put on some decent clothes, and get ready to face your day with God. That's my advice with you. I don't mean to sound harsh. This is coming from a heart of love. This is me as your pastor fighting for your spiritual lives in the name of Jesus. Third point is, I'm too blank. Well, put whatever you want in that. 
and then flush that excuse along with I'm too busy, I'm too tired, and anything else you can think of, anything else that crosses your mind, and leave it behind, leave it in the past, and let God work on your life. In conclusion, there are three takeaways that I want to share with you. One, we must never forget what we were B.C. or before Christ. Never. I don't care what we're going through. We must never forget what we were before Christ because in that life, we were lifeless. We were dead to spiritual truth. We were dead to any kind of relationship with God. We must never forget what we were so that we never act like that again. So that no part of our life ever resembles that period of time in our life again. Number two, we must understand what we would be every day without Christ. We must understand what we would be every day without Christ. I cannot, I cannot imagine, and I've got a pretty wild imagination, what it would be like for me, for Ruth, and for the people of this church and the people of this world, what it would be like without Christ helping us, leading us, guiding us, directing us, craving our company, craving our conversation, craving our attention. Without Christ, if Christ was not there for us, what would it be like to have no Savior to turn to? How disparaging this would be and how dark these days would be, so much darker than they have been in all reality. Number three, we must long to spend the rest of our lives in eternity with Christ. We must long to spend the rest of our lives in eternity with Christ. I can't think of a better takeaway than that one. Are you hungry? I mean, even before the crisis that we're facing right now, what did you think about Christ? Were you hungry to... You know, I, I was just saying to someone on the phone this morning, because I've been talking to a lot of people, I, I want to be there for them. I want to encourage them. I... um. I remember very keenly in Revelation where it talks about at the final judgment, Jesus Christ is going to be separating out the goats from the sheep. It terrifies me that there's a percentage of those goats that get separated out that had no idea they were a goat. They had no idea that they were living lives that were displeasing to God, that they really didn't have a true connection with him. They didn't really have the kind of relationship where Jesus Christ could say, uh, you know, you go over here with the sheep. You know, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. When I was sick, you visited me. When I was in prison, you visited me. When I was sick, you ministered to my needs, my wounds, my hurts, my illness. And those goats, he told them, you're over here. Because when I was hungry, you didn't feed me. When I was sick, you didn't minister my needs. When I was in prison, you didn't visit me. And uh, they were people who had, uh, who had thought that they had lived for God. I'm going to tell you right now, if that doesn't terrify you, it should. And we should talk to God daily. Because if you ask God in the name of Jesus to help you understand what a sheep is and the difference between a sheep and a goat, God will tell you. If you've got the kind of concern that you would ask God, teach me what a sheep is, because I, I'm in the crowd with the sheep. I want to be a sheep. I don't want to be a goat. God, just like in Ephesians or in Revelation chapter 2, where he's talking to the church at Ephesus, it's so that they could repent of the bad and the ugly. 
He complimented them over what was right and over what was good. And then he told them what was incorrect and what was bad. And he gave them a warning. He said they could repent. That's a warning. You know, repentance is a funny thing. It can be difficult because repentance isn't just saying, I'm sorry. Repentance is changing. Repentance is allowing God to cause a difference in your life. For God to cause the direction of your life to change. We have to be willing not only to be grateful that we can say, I'm sorry. And not only that we can be grateful to ask God by his cleansing power of grace to forgive us and cleanse us. But it's unhealthy, spiritually unhealthy for you to continue in that sin and expecting grace to bail you out over and over and over. Does, it doesn't mean that grace isn't powerful. It doesn't mean that grace uh, uh, isn't more powerful than any sin you can sin. However, should we not strive for a maturity in our lives and our relationship with God that we allow one step further the power of the grace of God to keep us from sin? It's something we need to consider. Let's pray together in closing today. Father, in Jesus' name, I want to thank you for your grace that allows us to be your children. We thank you for the power of grace that cleanses us of all of our sins and all of our shortcomings. But Father, help us by the power of your Spirit today to embrace the power of grace that would keep us from sin if we'll only allow it. Especially, Father, if we make it a priority in our prayer lives. Father, we need so desperately in the day and age in which we live where we've come to the realization that the gospel in America has been so watered down for so long that many Christians or many people that call themselves Christians even in America don't recognize Christianity when they really see it and look it in the eye. Father, forgive us in the name of Jesus for our sins and our shortcomings. We want to thank you, Father, for teaching us the difference between being a goat and being a sheep. Thank you, Father, for helping us not to be goats for your glory. Thank you, Father, for teaching us about true repentance. Father, this isn't a message that is just restricted to LifeSpring Bible Church and our family with this fellowship. We're finding out that many, many, many people at least visit the website and visit the message. Father, in Jesus' name, we pray that you would anoint the message, Father, and draw the hearts and minds of the people to you, Lord. Draw them to the message for your glory, not just LifeSpring Bible Church, but people throughout the world that are crying out for a God, a Savior, in Jesus' name. One that would draw them close. One that would teach them your principles, Father. One that would come along beside them like the Holy Spirit and also fill them to overflowing, Father. And lead and guide and direct our lives by the power of your Spirit. Help us, Father, to maximize our use of this time together along with you. To be strengthened, to grow closer, to learn more from your word, Father and to grow deeper in our relationship, our personal relationship with you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, God bless you. Um, before we go today, we want to share with you that tomorrow night, that would be the 30th, um, tomorrow night, Monday night, the 30th at 6 o'clock, we're still trying to work out some of the delivery methods that we want to use, but we're going to start the book of Galatians and all we're going to do on the first night is get the introduction in. Lesson one will involve the uh, introduction to the book of Galatians and the very first verse of chapter one. That's it. Um, 
We're going to take the time to thoroughly introduce the book. We're going to give you some background history of the book, and we're going to talk about verse 1. And uh, next week, we'll do more verses in uh, Lesson 2. But Lesson 1, we want to give you a better background for Galatians than we did with you in the book of Ephesians. Uh, We'll be producing notes that will end up in book form like uh, we did with Ephesians, and it won't take us long because Nathan and I have learned a lot of good things about putting uh, lessons together uh, for the body of Christ, and we're going to make these available on our website. And uh, once again, thank you for your patience with us. But, But let me close with this testimony. We've come to the realization that right now, the gospel is being preached more over the internet than has ever been preached in the history of mankind. Think about that with me now. Right now, there are pastors that are online that have never been online before. There's gospel being preached, and there are people that are listening that under other circumstances wouldn't be listening. I'm excited about that, and I'm grateful for it. Now, once again, I I don't want to overemphasize this, but I want to share this with you. For someone to show up in the system that they visited our website, they had to lay eyes on a message being given by me for at least three seconds. You say, well, three seconds. They give them three seconds to decide whether they they want to view in or not, and they either stay longer uh, or they don't. But listen to me carefully. We have um, our LifeSpring Bible Church family. It's It's not a mega church. You know that. But... One of the sermons that we preached recently had been at least visited, had eyes laid on it for at least three seconds by over 4,000 people. Um, I can't help but believe that a few of those people, at least a few of those people, stayed and listened to the message and watched the broadcast. That's encouraging. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that over 4,000 people watched one of my sermons because that's not true. It's not accurate. And... um, All I'm saying is pray for the people that visit, that they'll stay, they'll listen to the gospel message, and and that even if a few let it change their lives and affect their lives, that's a powerful thing. And we appreciate your prayers for that. What a great miracle that will be. Amen. God bless you. I love you. Um, I'll visit with you again in the morning at 8 a.m. on our live broadcast, Notes from the Pastor's Desk. And again, tomorrow night at 6 with our teaching on Galatians. Stick with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Bye.